0: so this morning it's all about this I want to show you it's not about that it's about this it's all about a wedding it's a big deal in fact I, I need to ask this question you that are in middle school high school university study young adults, ladies and you're not married how many of you have already begun to think about what your wedding would look like. Right here, look at this. They are already putting it together. When our daughter Christy, several years back, called and said that she was engaged, she was living in South Africa, she had Pam rummage through a bunch of stuff in the basement and Pam pulled out this book that I didn't know Christy had, but she had this notebook full of wedding plans. She had already prepared what the wedding was going to look like. The wedding is a big deal. For the Jewish family, it all began with the arrangement. This is the moment that the father would select the bride for the son. Would you guys like that, your dad picking out your bride? I wouldn't. It's, it's the same thing that, that you take note of when Abraham... In fact, there were times when the father was so busy with the estate that he would send his servant to go find the wife for the son, and that's when you see Abraham sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac. So they would discover the one, and they would begin to negotiate, and they would determine that this is the one that they would want. Then they would come together, and the first thing they would do is establish a ketubah, it is a written contract it is a prenup it describes on how the groom will take care of the bride and what the dowry will cost what it will cost to get this bride through this process if the bride doesn't like what's happening she can in most cases say "No, nah, no, nah, nah, we're not going that way now once they come to an agreement and she says yes upon that agreement let me just pause for a moment Guys, i got too much feedback here. Can you take that down? Thank you. Thank you. Upon that agreement, the bride and the groom-to-be come together in an engagement ceremony. The first thing that will happen is both the bride and the groom will be immersed in water, symbolic of the fact that they're going through a spiritual cleansing, and then they will gather together under the chuppah. Now, under that hoopah begins the engagement process. They will, in that engagement process, exchange valuable gifts and usually rings. There will be a cup that is blessed of wine, and they will share the wine. Now, when the groom hands the cup to the bride, if she partakes of the cup, she is in agreement with this process, and now the deal is sealed. That process is called the set-apart time this man and this woman are now set apart for each other and for this household because you see that hupah actually means a new household. So they are now in agreement. In this set-apart time, another word they used was the sanctification. Now they are legally married. They cannot cohabitate. They cannot have sexual relationships. In fact, that engagement process though legally married, will go for one year. During that year, they will keep themselves pure for each other in this sanctification process. The agreement is so binding that the only way to break the engagement relationship is to have a religious divorce that is initiated by the husband. That's when you read in the New Testament when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, before he realized what had transpired and that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he wanted to quietly divorce her even though they were still in the engagement process, they are still legally married. Now what transpires during this 12 months is that the man, that fiancé, goes back to his house to build an estate, and generally, it was a whole lot easier to build it on the estate of his father next to his father's house so he would build for his, for his coming bride and their life together. The girl would go back home, and she would begin to prepare the wedding dress. She'd begin to prepare the clothing. She'd begin to prepare what needed to transpire. And if you've ever been with a daughter that's looking for a wedding dress, that is only the beginning of the process. So she would discover what garments and prepare those white garments for the moment, and during that time, both of them would go through this consecration of themselves one to another. Upon the conclusion of the year, the bride-to-be would anticipate her groom's return. She didn't receive a save-the-date. He didn't didn't Skype her and say, on Friday at three, I show up. She had no idea when he's coming. But she would have to be ready, otherwise they wouldn't get married. Every day, as she anticipated, she would have her wedding garments. Every day, she would be ready, anticipating today is the day. Today could be the day that he's showing up. Even into the night they would light their oil lamps, anticipating his return even in the evening, because many times the groom would show up in the evening. And if the lights were not lit, the wedding would not take place. Even the groom did not know when he was returning. For it was up to the father to say to that son, Now is the moment. And so every day, that bride would wait. And she would, at the end of the day, when he didn't show up, be so disappointed. I thought today was the day, but yet tomorrow, still the same thing. Dressed, ready to go. Lamps lit, ready to go. Thinking that today could be the day. And disappointed if it didn't happen. But oh, it's like electricity in the air. It could be today. It could be today. I can't wait for the one I love to come. And so she waits. She waits. one day the father comes to the son and says now's the moment and so he the groom with his party make their way now how will she know that he's coming because as they draw close to her village one of the groomsmen and I've initiated some help this morning so don't be surprised one of the groomsmen stands and he begins to declare this as they come close Thanks, Bob. Oh, Bob, that was so... Do it again. That was really good. All right. Following that would be the blowing of the trumpet, the shofar, and it sounded, we hope, like this. And probably even better. Thank you. Now, you put yourself there, ladies. You hear the yell, Behold, the bridegroom comes! Behold, the bridegroom comes! And you hear the trumpet blowing, and you know now is the moment. The groomsmen sweep down upon her house. They pick her up, and they carry her back to the house that has been prepared for her. There the hoopah still stands. In that hoopah, they gather together. And in that spot... They take the cup, the second cup, and they bless it, and they both partake. And then the vows are completed. They go from there, and they consummate the marriage physically, and then they come back for what is a dynamic marriage supper that lasts for a week of singing and dancing and food and drink. This marriage is the center of the Jewish life. Jesus is Jewish. And those who have tried to help us understand that Jesus had a marriage with Mary don't understand that the Father had already picked out a bride. The bride had already been selected. And Paul the Apostle, writing to the church at Ephesus, describes what's transpired. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. For even before he made the world, before he created this earth, God loved us and did what? Chose us. The word has elected us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He said, you are the bride, and I now made you so that you can be in this, this moment of sanctification, this set apart, this betrothal to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We, us together, are his bride. And that is just phenomenal. We are his bride. The ketubah has already been written. The dowry and what it takes has already been agreed to and what it would cost the groom to get the bride was simply his life. He would have to pay with his death which Jesus Christ did on the cross. And the bride has already yielded to the two demands placed upon her and these are her demands. Love that groom with all your heart and your soul, and your mind and your strength and your neighbor as yourself. The first cup has already been, been, been drank. You and I have already been drinking of that cup. We've agreed to it. For in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is the blood of a new covenant, a new agreement. This is the katuba, And we drink from it. And Jesus then at that moment said, I will not drink of this cup until the time we are together after I come and get you and there under our own hoopah, I will drink with you declaring that it is complete. And so for that time we are not living together but we are still in our sanctification season. We begin to say today could be the day. Today could be the day. We are ready. We are purified. Today is the day. And what is happening during this sanctification season, Jesus described it this way to his disciples in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. I'm building it. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. He said, I'm building that place. And only the Father knows. The Father knows when he will say, now, go. And what is the bride doing? We are purifying ourselves. We are in a set-apart time. We have washed ourselves in baptism and had a spiritual cleansing. We have taken our, our, our clothing and we prepared our, our bride clothing that is pure and white. And so often the New Testament, when it describes the clothing we wear as being pure, it is our lifestyles that have become pure in anticipation of him coming to us. We don't know when he's coming, but the Father does. And we today are to say, it could be Today. Oh, if I had time, I could, I could walk you through all the signs of his coming right now. All the things you see happening around the world and, and all the wars and, 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 the, and the earth shaking. There have been more earthquakes in the recent years than ever before. The, the, the earth is groaning for its own deliverance. It could be any day. It could be, is it today? Could it be today? What will it be like when he comes? Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, and we're going to park ourselves with that church in these next weeks. Paul describes it this way. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with what? A loud command. Behold! The groom comes. Here he comes. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, kind of like what you heard. And I appreciate those who tried to play that, because they don't play it all the time, but thanks for getting the sound out. And the dead in Christ arise first, those who are already in the grave. I took one of the sisters of this church and, and, and committed her body to the ground this week, knowing that the groom is coming. And when that sound goes off, when he screams and, and, the, and, the, and the announcement is made and when the trumpet blows, she will be before the rest of us who are alive if we're still alive at that moment. After that, we are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's what we live for, it's what he died for. And Paul makes it really clear that those who are in the betrothal period live a life in anticipation that it could happen at any moment there is evidence of a lifestyle that says, I'm looking for him. It is so uniquely healthy, that which is designed for those who look for Jesus, for the one that is preparing for that marriage. And so Paul describes this lifestyle to his friends in, in Thessalonica, and in this church in Thessalonica is an incredibly healthy church, and I want us to take a few weeks now to view this church, to see how we pattern ourselves after who they are and what they've done. And so Paul then says to them in first Thessalonians, the first chapter, the second verse, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remembering before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Those three expressions faith, hope, and love are the basis of the characteristic of a healthy community of faith who are looking for Jesus. Thessalonica was a city of extreme commerce, it had its own natural harbor, and the Ignatian Way, which is the main trade route to east and west, went right through that city. So it's strategic. Paul the Apostle shows up there in Thessalonica after being at Philippi. And at Philippi, if you remember, is where he was beaten. He and his traveling companion, Silvanus or Silas. And that's when God shook the jail and the, and, and the, the chains fell off and the, and the jailer and his family put their faith in Jesus. They're really hurting as they make their way. They've been beaten. They make their way to Thessalonica. It's a strategic place. They arrive there and for three months Paul expresses who Jesus Christ is and how he changed the world and, and, and people are listening to this strange new story. There are those who start to put their faith in him and as a result, others who have other religious views become jealous of the converts that he's gaining and so they create a riot. Paul and Silvanus at that point and, and, and Timothy who's joined with them then escape out. But the death threats... And the beatings for those people in that city continue. It grows. But amazingly, so does their faith. Faith aligns the will with belief. If we had lived in Thessalonica in that first century, and we had gone out to plant some wheat... We would plant the wheat and then we would come to the appropriate God and we would say to that God, please give us favor with our harvest. Because everything you did of importance was attached to a God. You would create a God to take care of that. If we were doing the same thing today and you were a Cleveland Indians fan, you would go to your God and say, what's wrong with you? The Indians are in the basement. They're in the cellar. We need a more powerful God because obviously the Yankees' God is greater than the Indians' God at the moment. That Steinbrenner God. If you took the SATs yesterday, before going in, you would have said, oh, great SAT God, give me the brains to remember all this stuff and help me guess right. If you wanted to marry one of the Jonas Brothers, you would go to the Jonas Brother God and say, oh, God, make me more attractive than those other women in their eyes and give me that Jonas Brother. Everything you would do would be connected to a God. It was the way of life. Everybody had multiple gods, and if you needed some, you just created some within this city. So that is the atmosphere in which they live until these three Jewish guys show up. And they begin to tell this remarkable story of one God. One God, one God. No other God's just one God. And this God had a son. And this son was more powerful. He's the creator of the universe and they proved it by his death and then he rose again. And they go, wow. And he said, okay, sounds good. And so they grab hold of this one God and they threw out the rest of the gods. It becomes obvious to the friends, this is strange. It would be like this. It would be like you deciding that you no longer wanted to use automobiles and you just wanted to use horses. And you'd ride up and down Peach Street on a horse. Do you think that would be obvious? You'd probably move faster. It is obvious. The fact that they got rid of these gods and went back to one seems so antiquated. One god? Paul said, it is so obvious what you've done, and he describes it to them in verse 6. You became imitators of us and the Lord in spite of severe suffering. And you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. I mean, so obvious was this changeover. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn, now catch that, that is that repentant move, it's a 180-degree turn, from, ter, turn to God from those idols to serve the living and the true God. This was so dynamic. When we enter into belief, into Jesus' story, we enter into God's dimension a dimension of created order. We enter in, in our belief of Jesus, into what is normal in God's life. We enter into a world that is God-centered and the way that God lives that life. You see, when the, the bride-to-be... Would go back for this time of set apartness, this sanctification. She would prepare herself for her groom, and in doing so, she would begin to live the life that he was going to have, she's going to live with him. She would begin to pattern herself after the way that they will be together. Yes, she was raised this way in her home, but now she must change because she's going to be this way with him. Life alignment was expected. If we expect Jesus to return, And we are the bride. Then although we've been raised in a culture around us that we are so comfortable with, we must understand that now because we are in this time of betrothal, we must begin to live our lives as we will when we are with him. It is a lifestyle that we now live. The life that we live with him is now ours. And although we live in this world, we are not of this world any longer. And when you do that, it becomes extremely obvious to people around you because they say, well, wh- wh- what are you doing? Because there's all these other options. And you say, I don't have any more options. It's not religion. It is a carefully, a carefully investigated understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. And you come to that place and say, I believe that. And when you do that, people will say to you, that's closed-minded. There are a lot of ways that you can worship. Yeah, that's true. There are a lot of ways you can worship. But not if your faith is in Jesus. Because in that moment, you said, I have become betrothed to him. I'm part of his wedding party. I'm his bride. And therefore, I am close-minded. Because don't you know that engagement is close-mindedness? When you are married, when you're engaged, the option's narrow. Pam and I had just been married less than a year And we were working in a church, and a very beautiful woman came walking into my office, and she said to me, I just want you to know that I'm having feelings for you. That freaked me out. But you see, I now am closed minded. I live within this betrothal, within this marriage. I cannot take her feelings and let them enter in or let my feelings go out and connect into that culture because those feelings have been designed just for the one that I marry. And so I, said, I looked at her, I said, don't talk to me. And I took her to somebody else to have a counsel, And I went home and said, Pam, I'm hot. She said, "You only think you are." <laughs> Look, when you are in love with Jesus, when you have a passionate desire and a drive and you know He's coming to get you, you must have a closed mind, and it's not in the sense that you don't understand what other people are believing, but only because you cannot accept that belief anymore, because you have committed yourself to Jesus. Not telling you to be ignorant of other religions and other places and, and don't walk in religion because the moment you say, I'm waiting for Jesus and it's only a religious thing, there is no feeling or love there. But when you have a passion for Jesus and you say, It could be today, it could be today, it could be today. Oh, it didn't happen today, it could be tomorrow. I am so ready, it could be tomorrow. And, and don't you wish it was today with all the mess we face? We are close-minded, and, and, and in that respect, because it's only love for him, and that's hard work in this culture. It is such hard work. So, let me just be really candid with you. Whatever we do now must reflect the way that he is also. So, to the youth, there is this trend right now that it's okay as a teen, as an unmarried, to get pregnant. That's so cool. Within this culture, that might be cool. But you see, if you're waiting for Jesus, that's not in his, his repertoire. And if you love Jesus, then you will keep from that. Now, if you've already got to that place, he forgives, but begin to live your life the way that he designed, the way that you'll be with him. Our culture, and it's just it's intensifying, our culture says that sexuality outside of marriage and we've gone through this in this whole series, sexuality outside of marriage is okay with whomever and whenever, and just consenting adults just go for that. And I want to tell you in this culture that's fine, but in God's culture and for your groom that's coming, it's not okay. Because you can't live that way and expect, because here's the deal. He said, if you're not looking for me, you're not going with me. And if we're looking for him, it means we're living the lifestyle that he has. Somewhere in the next months, I will be addressing the whole, the whole thing of homosexuality and especially the, the swing towards lesbianism. And let me just say to you right now, my complete studies, and I'm not a scholar, but what I've looked in the scriptures, there is no place for male with male or female with female according to the scripture. And if you're waiting for Jesus, you can't have that lifestyle. And you say, I disagree. Well, then come talk to me. And we'll talk about love for Jesus. And and you may have a horrible temper and you say, that's just the way I'm going to have to live with it. No, because that's not the way that Jesus is. That's not your groom and you have to live your life according to the groom. And you may take your finances and your resources and hide them from God. You can't do that either. You have to live as he is living now. He gives us his life to be lived at this moment in this world. Wherever I don't open up to live like Jesus... That is my idol because I love that more than I love looking for Jesus. And that, my friend, is anti betrothal. That is unfaithfulness to my fiance. That is anti Christ. And that's a lot of hard work, but that's expected. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're looking for Him, that's the life we live. And so I have a simple question. If I went through your last 72 hours, would I see a life looking for Jesus or a life entertaining idols? Because Jesus said, if you're looking for me, your life reflects it. So my faith aligns my will with my belief if I'm looking the other thing that happens is that love goes beyond ordinary effort understand that that this whole thing of Jesus coming for us was not just some oh that sounds like a good idea It, it wasn't Jesus one day saying let me see I'll take two universes five falling stars and two pagan believers to go He had this desperate passion for us. And guys, we had a video, we're not going to show that, I'm going to go on without that. It's a passion, and the best way I can describe it is, is Rachel who, who who works with a team of people in Seattle. I'm sorry, in Vancouver. They go in the worst part of Vancouver, which is, which is so bad that it's a spot where you can take heroin supervised because it's so bad they just want to keep the people alive and, and all the riffraff of life hangs out right there in that spot in Vancouver and they go down and they take care of people and they're feeding them and this one guy walks in and he's so strung out that his plate's shaking and he's just, he's just, He's homeless and he's, and he's, he's strung out and he's, he's got his plate and he can hardly get it up to his mouth and, and, and the breakfast and the beans that he had just pour all over him. And then the food slides down off the plate. And 17-year-old Rachel walks up and she cleans him up and she takes a plate and she gets him more food and she stands there and she feeds him. She steadies the plate for him. see, Jesus didn't just do this on a whim. He had his focus on you. He said, I want you, I want you, I want you, and I'll do it as ever necessary. So he walked into our messiness where everything is spilling in our lives and he cleans us up and he begins to feed us, but he doesn't stop there. He says, will you marry me? That's how great and extraordinary and unordinary is his love. The remarkable thing about that is that when we get exposed to that kind of love, it just so shakes us that it not only changes us, but we begin to filter it out to other people like Rachel. Zacchaeus meets Jesus and he's so so overwhelmed by Jesus' love when he's finished talking because he's just a thief. He turns to Jesus and he says... Everything that I've taken, I'll give back and more, and I'll give half to the poor. Nobody asked him to do that, but suddenly he says, and those people, they're the bride too, so I've got to take care of them. The church should never be known because of its great worship services. And that's all we've become in America. Hey, go to that church, because Sunday morning's great there, and Sunday morning's great there, and Sunday... No, 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 no. The church should be known not by its worship services, but by its service of worship that I've come to express to you that you should be the part, a bride of Christ. You sh- you're part of this thing. We've got to be captured by his love so that we don't stop with ordinary effort. That we've got to be doing things that are extraordinary because of an unexpected message that he came to us and said, I picked you out, I want you. And then we become like 17-year-old Rachel who goes to a junkie and says, Here, let me steady the plate. Because people who are looking for their groom live that way. Love goes way beyond ordinary effort. And hope negotiates blind alleys, and you know, blind alleys. Those are those alleys that you say, I'm following Jesus, but I'm in this place right now, I'm not sure where I am, and I don't know what to do about this thing. It could be the doctor's diagnosis. It could be the wave after wave of bills you're receiving. It could be that issue in your family that never gets resolved. You say, I just I don't know what to do. It just seems so hopeless. These people in Thessalonica, they were being beaten. Their goods were being confiscated. They're losing their jobs. Their families are disowning them. Some have died. And you know, they're full of happiness and joy. Paul describes it this way. 1 Thessalonians, verse 9 of chapter 1. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. See, here's the deal. If he's your groom and he's gone to prepare a place for you, do you think he's going to let you wander off in some blind alley and just leave you there? You think he said, you No, know, where where did I put Reisner? <laughs> I lost him again. Where is he? Do you know he said, just so that you'll know that I'm serious about coming back and getting you, I left you my Holy Spirit as a deposit. He said, I put a deposit in you, my Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit that raised Christ from the grave. So that whatever you face. He said, I'm going to remove you from the coming wrath that will be placed upon evil, but I want you to know that in the midst of this, this set-asideness, the this sanctification, when evil tries to put its wrath on you, my power that lifted me from the grave is in you, and so greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. You'll make it. And so my question for us today is, what are we living and who are we looking for? In these days to come, we're going to talk about how we should be focused on that and what it means that he's coming back. But it could be today. You could hear, behold, the bridegroom cometh, even louder than Bob did. You could hear the trumpet. Suddenly, he and his party would come down and and lift you up and take you to the place that he's prepared for you, and, and there would be that second cup. There would be the finalization of the vows, and there would be the marriage supper of the dancing and the singing that he's prepared for us as his bride. He said, those who are looking will find that. And so my question to you is this. Are you looking for him? Are you looking? just have a simple question is there any part of your life that is a reoccurring happening that if you heard that shout and that trumpet, you'd go, my God, no. Then it's your idol. And the same power, the same spirit of God can enter in and change you right now so that you can turn and say, I don't want that anymore. So we're going to end in this manner today. Your bridegroom's coming. And now you're looking. So we're going to open up this place we we call an altar, a place where we come and we let go of our idols. Or we just reaffirm our love for Jesus. Jesus. Jenny's going to lead in some singing and I'm going to invite you to come and, and I'm not even going to have you stand right now. You just, as you're ready to go, the people will excuse you around you and some of you may want to just come down here and, and just sit here, but I'm just going to ask you to check inside here. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so you're not even sure that you would be going with him. I'll be standing right down here. Pastor Jason's going to be down here too and come talk to us and we'll help walk you through an assurance or at least a contemplation of what is real. But let's be ready and let's be looking because it could happen today. So now, may you grow in anticipation of Jesus' return. May you find yourself looking for him every second. And may you find the very power that changes lives released in you, that you can become all that you've been designed by God to be as you anticipate this wonderful marriage. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.